Can we stand for the reading of God's word? If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to the book of Psalms, chapter 5, Psalms. We've been in the passage of Psalms 1 through 5 with this igniting hope and diamonds for everyday living. And today we're on Psalms chapter 5. And next Sunday, we're going to finish out the psalm because I'm only going to give you a snapshot of this because I think this is amazing. In Psalms chapter 5, it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to my voice and my cry, my King and my God. For, you to, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord, and in the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Pick it up at verse 11. But let those who rejoice in you put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those who love your name be joyful in you. I love that. Let those who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. And with favor, you will surround them as with a shield. I want to talk to you this morning a message entitled, A Joyful Shout. A Joyful Shout. Let's give a prayer to the Lord. Father, thank you today for your word. Let every word that Joey says, let it fall to the ground. And every word that comes forth from you, let it change our hearts and fill us up with joy. In Jesus' name, and all God's men and women said, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you've really lost weight. And go ahead and sit down. Holiday time. Holiday time. You're good to go. Come on now. Would you give the worship team one more round of applause? Thank you so much, worship team. We're honored that they're here with us every week. We're honored that you're with us every week. Do not miss things we have at the services here at the church and make a, a chance every time to be in the house of God. We're honored that you're here today, and thank you again for coming. Now, I want you to look at Bible evidence this morning that clearly, by a, without a shadow of a doubt, shows us that God's people, when they shout for joy, something amazing happens when God's people, righteous people, give God a shout of what we call praise. It's important because I believe shouting for joy brings supernatural power in your life to overcome anything that the enemy will dare put against you. I believe this is so important. It brings breakthrough in every area of your life. I want you to hear this and think of this thought today, and I want you to remember this, okay? You ready for it? It's God's intent and God's desire for you to live in victory. It's God's intent and God's desire for you to live in victory. But we live in a world that's so desperately searching for this thing called joy. We have so many people, they're looking for love. Remember that old song in back in the day? Looking for love in all the wrong places. And all that silly stuff of song, you know, country songs. You, you play it backwards, you get your dog back, you get your wife back, you get your house back. Some of you obviously don't listen to country, but there's something about looking for things in the wrong places. I want you to realize today because it's God's intent and it's God's desire for you to have lasting and overflowing joy. But we search for joy with all the wrong things. We search for it with drugs and alcohol and materialism. We, we save all our money to take an exotic trip to Shangri-La only to get there and unpack. We look in the mirror and realize the source of our problem has traveled with us. We are the problem. 
We do things that are out of control. We, we, we find these things. We, we, we have joyless people in the church. The church is suffering from a lack of old-fashioned, overflowing Christian joy. Many people, they start off with revival fire, and, and a lack of joy lets them live in religious smoke. Religion smoke that, that the church is not exalted and edified in the things of God. But I want you to think of this today. I want you to remember that we are the church that's triumphant. In this book, we're called the Victorious Church. We're called the Blood-Bought Church. We're called the Church of Overcomers. We're called above and not beneath. We're called to be salt and light in a generation that's corrupt and dark. The church is called to do great things on this earth. Can I get a witness this morning? It's true. If I can, Valerie, turn that monitor down, please, a little bit. That will be helpful. So this is important because joy begins somewhere. You have to realize the origin of where it begins. It begins at the cross. Joy begins at the cross. Our joyless condition in America has been a people that have forgotten the fundamentals of truth as written in the word of God. That's why now psychologists are telling us that one in four Americans have a serious emotional issue. That's why everybody is triggered. Don't trigger me. I'm triggered. I mean, if one in four, one in four Americans have a serious emotional issue. Do you know what that means? That means if you get in a group of four and three of them look okay. I even read something lately where it says one out of three. I don't even want to go there because it's, it, I don't want to bring you down. But there is something that's happening. We represent 6% of the world's population. But do you know we take over 90% of the tranquilizers? What's the message? We're uptight. I talked to a lady one time and she said, Joey, the only thing holding me together is my hairspray. <laughs> and I talked to her and I thought, she's right. Aquanet. Some of you remember Aquanet. I used to put that. No, I didn't. I didn't. But we live in a joyless society. And I love what Martin Luther said. He said, quote, if you aren't allowed to laugh in heaven, I don't want to go. End of quote. That's why the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. That literally means life force. It is your life force. Without joy, you will be weak spiritually. You will be weak emotionally. You will always live in defeat. You cannot reach your divine destiny without joy. You cannot accomplish your God-given assignment without joy. That's why Psalm Psalm 1611 says, in God's presence, there's this thing called fullness of joy. The Bible tells us that our cup has the ability to run over. Often people say, well, man, my cup is empty, Joey, and I'm dry. Life has beat me up. My, I'm dry. And they're always looking on what they don't have. So instead of saying, my, uh, uh, they just, and I say, well, maybe you should repurpose and refocus and thank God you, you, that you have a cup. Because if you have a cup, then it has the ability to run over. You say, well, life is beating me up and, and life is, is just producing nothing but lemons. But then don't make lemonade. Don't put it in an open wound. There's a world of difference. If life throws you a wrench, build something with it. If life brings something against you, say, if God be for me, who can be against me? See, it's all a part of our attitude. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. But it's something that we have to do because Matthew 25, listen closely. It says, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. 
that's important because it says, enter in to the joy of the Lord. Do you know what happened when you came to church today? Most of you, you put off your pity pop mentality at the curb. You put it off in the car. Some of you had a fight in the car on your way over. I heard it. No, I didn't hear it. But some of you, you left it at the door. You leave that mentality at the door. You leave that pity pop mentality at the door. And you enter into the presence of God. You lift those hands. You give shouts unto God. You give God praise. You're entering in to the joy of the Lord. It's our job to do that. God's not going to do it for us. It's our job to do it. Listen to John 16, 24. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. This is Jesus speaking. He says, before now you have asked for nothing. But now I'm asking you to receive something. And isn't it important because we often hear in church, give, 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 give. And it's, you know, you do need to give. But many people cannot give what they do not have. So you can't just give, give, give out of a dry well or an empty cup. So it says, before now you've asked for nothing. How many of you know God's people are asking the wrong questions? And we're answering questions in society that people are not asking. It says, before now you've asked for nothing. But now I'm asking you to do something. Receive. Receive. Receive the goodness of God. Receive the healing of God. Receive the power and the anointing of God. I'm asking you to receive. What is it that you need to receive today? Whatever it is, it's something that you need so your joy could be full. Did you hear that? You've asked for nothing, but now I'm asking you to receive so that your joy may be full. Do you know medical science is now telling us that enzymes are released in our brains when we laugh and when we're joyful that starts to heal our physical body and start to bring healing to us. Jesus said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't know what you're going through, but I know the joy of the Lord can be your strength. You won't get it through whining and sucking your thumb. You get it through when you believe that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's so important because again, you can't give what you do not have. You know, Jennifer shared with you a little about her story. And many of you know mine. I had no Christian upbringing. When I was 11 years old, I was put out on my own. I was raised in a very rough neighborhood in, in Del Paso Heights, Northgate area. I mean, and not only raised in a rough neighborhood, but being on your own since you were 11, being incarcerated in, in youth and, you know, all that system lifestyle, you know, it didn't bring joy to my heart. It bring a lot of pain and insecurity and a lot of abuse. And so, you know, a lot of times it's a, it's a reflection of insecurity when you shut down or when you start to puff up to be prideful. Many people know what that's like because pride is, is the opposite of, uh, of the Lord's dignity. The enemy puts pride on people and God wants you to walk with dignity. The enemy, the enemy will put the opposite on what God wants to display. That's why let your light shine before men so they can see your good works and glorify who? Your father in heaven. It's the, it's the opposite because the enemy wants to be religious and say, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. Don't say nothing, nobody. But see, that's not how it works. Because the enemy is a liar. And a lot of times we can't give what we do not, we do not have. And so I was, you know, I, I got radically saved at 22 years old. I've never been to church in my life. I had no religious upbringing. But at 22, I was saved. But how many of you know you can be saved on the inside, but the Lord and the Holy Spirit is renewing your mind and he's renewing your disposition and your spirit 
So I was saved, but, you know, I was so insecure. And it was masked in other things. And I, I never liked to smile, not because I didn't have joy down in my heart, because I had messed up teeth. I didn't, never went to the dentist. I had, I, had, I had jacked up teeth. I'll never forget uh, speaking to kids and doing feats of strength with the power team. And I was in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was bending a steel bar in my teeth. In the, and they were filming it on Fox News that day. And I was bending the bar, bending, bending, bending. It popped out of my mouth and took two of my friends teeth with it. And you know, if that wasn't bad, they all laughed at me too, by the way. All the junior hires, oh, they got the biggest laugh. Look, he broke his mouth. Ah! But what was funny is God used that for the good because I'd never smiled before because I had a messed up grill. And so I went to the dentist. It was an emergency and the man was a Christian gentleman. And he looked at me and I'll never forget what he said. He was such a tender spirited man, an older man. And he said, Joey, you'd be a good-looking guy if you could just smile. He says, you would be a good-looking guy if you just smile. And you know, that man took an interest in me, and for four years, he fixed all of my teeth. He, look at, oh, awesome. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Look at that smile. These are all real, by the way. These are not veneers. This is all real deal. This is my, it, the man fixed them. He was gracious to me. He didn't charge me. I had, $30,000 plus dollars worth of procedures done to give me this joy. And he knew that I needed that on the outside because God was working on the inside. He knew. But not everybody knows that. I'll never forget, you know, because raised a certain way, we often kind of put on this disposition. You know, I was raised in a Hispanic neighborhood. I'm, I, you know, living that lifestyle. Has, uh, you know, I was involved in that lifestyle. And, you know, my oldest brother is still in that stuff. And I'll never forget, you know, that type of, you know, lifestyle. Even when Jennifer and I got married, you know, I, I, the pants pleated over. I, you know, I custom fit them to they fit my shiny shoes. And, orale. you know, I was that guy. And so I was out traveling, ministering to people, but, you know, I didn't have a good disposition. I didn't have the joy of my heart. And so Jennifer and I just got married. We just got married. This is the year 2000. We just got married. And so I took Jennifer with me, and I went to minister uh, up uh, out of town to another uh, church there. And they had a big outreach, and I was the guest speaker. And I'll never forget it. I'm there. I'm speaking to the adults. I'm speaking to the kids. I get finished. And, you know, we had a good time. Many people came to the Lord that afternoon and uh, that day. And so after the service was over, we were cleaning up, getting ready to leave. And this elderly man makes a beeline for me. I mean, he just rushes to me. He's got hair white as snow. His hair is white. His eyes are piercing blue. He was an older gentleman. And he literally came to me and he shook me. And I remind you, I'm, I'm a big guy. You know, I'm not a little dude. And he, mean, he was so not intimidated by me. He came to me and said, God told me, son. God told me that I'm to pray for you and I'm to lay hands on you. And he says, I'm going to do it now. And I'm like, this guy has lost his mind. He says, you need something. And God told me to come and pray for you. He said, son, I want to pray for you. And, you know, I'm respectful and, you know, I'm saved now. So I'm like, yes, sir, you can pray for me. And so he starts to pray and he, he starts to go, God, just touch this young man. And, you know, he puts his hand on my head and then he's, he's pushing me back. And now I'm like, this ain't Benny Hinn, man. It's not going down like that. So now I'm standing strong and he's pushing. I'm like, I ain't going down today, sir. And so he gets done and he goes, it's not enough. It's like he got back out of the dugout. He goes back in for the, for the hit. He says, I got to do this again. 
<laughs> she's looking at this guy like he's lost his mind. And Jennifer's just on the side observing this whole thing. She's just wondering what's going to happen next. And so he comes back into the batter's box and he goes, now I want you to look at me. His piercing blue eyes meet my baby browns and he's looking at me. And he says, I want you to repeat this prayer after me, son. He says, I want you to say it after me. And so he leads me in this prayer with great intensity and great fervor. And then he says, I want you to repeat this after me. Say it with me. He, he. Ho, ho. Ha, ha. So I'm trying to be respectful. Jennifer's in the corner. <laughs> Son, you got to say it. So I, he, he, ho, ho, ha, ha, backs out. He says, that's not good enough. Say it again and faster. He, he, ho, ho, ha, ha. Say it again. And I'm with him going, he, he, ho, ho, ha, ha. He, he, ho, ho, ha, ha. And then he screams in my face, did you feel it? Did you get it? And I went, no. <laughs> and you know, he looked at me. I'll never forget this. I'm not exaggerating this story. Jennifer is my eyewitness. He looked at me and says, you'll get it on the way home. And he walked away, and I never seen him again. And you know what happened? Jennifer got it on the way home. She laughed and laughed. We went to eat, and she had what we call in the scriptures hilarious laughter. She could not stop laughing at the dinner. I mean, I was almost offended. She wouldn't quit laughing. But you know, I look back on that time, and that man, as crazy as he seemed, he, he did something that I desperately needed. I needed, with the fixing of my face, I needed a fixing of my heart. I needed that joy, not just to be on the inside and not give it out. I needed to have it all over me. See, that's why the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. That man was sent by God in his craziest ways. I needed that because I was so insecure. I was so like some of you. I didn't think I could really do certain things. I could do some, but I couldn't do it all. But I knew that I knew that I knew that I needed a greater deposit to be overflowed with God's power and God's spirit. And so do you. You need to be overfilled, uh, overflowed with the right stuff. The Bible says, what good would it do to speak in the heavenly language, to speak in the unknown tongue and not love your brother? It's like a clanging cymbal. There are people all over our community that speak in the unknown tongue and is as mean as a two-headed snake. It doesn't mean they're spiritual. It just means they received a gift from God, a gift of grace. It doesn't mean they're saved because of that. You're saved because you believe in Jesus Christ, the one and only. That's the importance. That's the importance of this, the message. So what am I saying to you today? I'm telling you today, this is a healing fountain that purges and cleanses. Do you know Jesus was accused by the Pharisees of being too happy to be a holy man? Is that said of you? My encouragement to you today is that you get so filled up with the things of God. You get so filled up with the goodness of God and the joy of the Lord that if you were to be on trial for being a Christian, there would be so much evidence you would have a complete and total conviction. There would be no overwhelming sense of you not being a Christian, not being a believer, that if you were on trial, they would have overwhelming evidence. Your honor, your honor, your honor. This man, this woman, they're so 
generous. They're so contagious. They're so prayerful. They're so honorable. They're so good-hearted. They're so good-natured. We can't help but convict them for being a Christian. But a lot of times, if you were on trial for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict you. And therein lies a difference. God wants you to ignite something in you and through you and around you to be filled with the right stuff, to be filled with joy. Now, let me turn the page quickly because the Bible tells us there's this amazing thing that happens when God's people shout for joy, when they give God a great big shout of praise. Many times people think in church, well, you shouldn't be loud, you shouldn't clap, you shouldn't dance, and you shouldn't sing. The Bible says we do it unto the Lord. That we do not make the joyful noise unto men, we make the joyful noise unto the Lord. And that is important because singing and praising and dancing and clapping, all those things are attributes of the Spirit. That God wants us to be joyful in hope. But there's an interesting thing that happens in the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 21. Balaam, he was a corrupt prophet. He was an outhouse prophet. You know what that is? An outhouse prophet is the little house behind the big house that stinks. Some of you get that on the drive home. He was an outhouse prophet. He wasn't a part of God. He wasn't a part of the church. He didn't have the covering of the authority of the church. And Balaam, he was hired. He was a corrupt prophet. He was hired by this guy by the name of Balak. The king knew that Israel was coming to take his kingdom. That Israel was marching their way toward the promised land. And this king knew that Israel was going to take them out. And so what did he do? He hired this apostate prophet to pronounce a curse upon Israel. So when this guy, Balaam, went to pronounce a curse for a fee, by the way, he could not. And the reason he could not, he tells us, he said, for the shout of a king is among them. The shout of a king is among them. Now, the situation in Scripture is this. Israel, like I said, is a marching army. They've just been delivered from Pharaoh's bondage, and they're marching on their way to the promised land. Over two million of them, there's hundreds of thousands of men, soldiers, and they're defeating every kingdom as they're moving toward their divine destiny, their promised land. And this Balak, the next king who is going to be defeated, like I said, he hires this prophet, Balaam, to pronounce a curse upon the Jewish people. But there was a problem. They were no longer slaves. There was another problem. They were no longer in Pharaoh's chains. There was another problem. They were no longer possessions. They were the people of God. The Shekinah glory hovered over the tabernacle and the anointing was upon them. And when Balaam looked down upon Israel, he, he saw them standing in front of that tabernacle and their hands were lifted toward heaven and they were shouting and praising God for joy because God was delivering them with all their enemies. So Balaam went back to Balak and he said, these words, I cannot pronounce a curse upon them because the shout of a king is among them. The shout of a king is among them. In essence, he was saying, in effect, I know they know who they are. They know where they are. They know where they're going and they know they have a covenant and nothing by any means will defeat them. And if God's people, if that's the Old Testament, and if we have a better covenant with Jesus Christ, can God's people get to the place to know who they are? 
They're no longer slaves by sin and Satan. They no longer have to be bound by sin and addiction and drugs and alcohol. They're no longer bound by emotional distress or mental illness. They don't have to be bound by poverty mentalities and bad choices that would corrupt their destiny. If they realize who they were and whose they were, that they're no longer possessions of Satan because of what Christ has done at Calvary, they are free. If they realize who they were, they would let a shout of a king come in every direction of life, knowing that God is for them. Who dare be against them? That God is greatly to be praised, and there's none like our God, not in the heavens above, the worlds, or the worlds beneath. Our God is the one and only. Can we give him a hand this morning? This is important. It's important. If Israel had a covenant with God, how much greater is the new covenant with the blood of Jesus? If Israel knew that they couldn't be defeated, what if God put it in you today to knew, uh, for you to know that anything you would attempt to do for God, you could not fail? If failure wasn't an option, what would you attempt to do? Would you go out and start that business? Would you go and get your degree? Would you do what God's called you to do and to get your health back? If you knew that failure wasn't an option, would you go at night, hope with that neighbor, invite him to church? What would you do if you knew that you would not fail? The Bible says nothing is impossible to them that believe. Nothing is impossible to them that believe. Listen to Psalms 47 verse 1. Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Hear those words again, shout unto God. How is Christ coming back for his church? 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a what? Shout. I love that because God says when I'm coming back, I'm not sending a delegation. I'm not sending wise men to, to prepare the way. I'm not sending an angel, a cherubim, or a seraphim. I'm not sending a patriarch. I'm not sending Moses. I'm not sending Elijah. He says, I'm coming myself, and I'm coming with a shout, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. He's coming with a shout. Why a shout on that resurrection? Because it shows that Christ gave us total victory. That he does not want to leave one atom of your physical body in the dust. He wants to bring it all back up to celebrate total victory. Because he is the king of all kings. And he's the lord of all lords. That he is mighty in battle. And what he said he will do, he will do it. And if he did it before, he'll do it again. I love that. Let me give you one more illustration in closing. It's found in the book of Joshua, chapter 6, verse 20. This is the illustration of God through a supernatural shout and the walls coming down flat. Joshua 6, verse 20 says, And the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. That's the shofar. When you hear the shofar blast, that's the arrival of the coming of the Lord. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout. Then the walls fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before them, and they took the city. Oh, what did they take the city from? Paganism, darkness, idolatry, devastation, torment, death, destruction. They took the city and they put the law of God back in that place. So what's my point? If God's people would rise up and be everything he's called them to be, we can take on any city, any giant, any wall. It would come down before us in the mighty name of Jesus. But a lot of times we just think, I'm not qualified. 
I'm inadequate. I can't do it. I've made too many mistakes. I've come from a bad background. I come from a life like yours, Joey, or I've come from this, and, or I had a good life, and I've made wrong decisions, whatever the case may be. But I want you to know this story is such an amazing story because it shows supernatural warfare when God's people unite together with a shout of praise because Jericho represents something. It represents something then, and it represents something now. Jericho to all represents mission impossible. Joshua chapter 6, verse 10. Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall you proceed out of your mouth until the day I say you shout, then you shall shout. Because this was something that only God could do. The people had already complained to Moses. They've already come out of two weeks out of the wilderness, into the wilderness, out of being out of Egypt's bondage, and they complained that they wanted to go back to the leeks and the garlics of Egypt. They wanted to go back. They didn't like the manna. Mrs. Moses had made 101 ways to make manna, and it was just disgusting. They wanted the tamales. They wanted what was in Egypt. And they said, Moses has brought us out here to die. And you know, God, the Bible says he sent snakes to the congregation of Israel because they were murmuring and complaining. If we had snakes in this congregation, there'd be a stampede to the back door. If there was complaining going on and I said, you know what? Everybody who complains, the snakes are going to bite you. I don't think we get anybody coming here. But I want you to see something today that's so important. Joshua commands them, don't say a word. Because Jericho represents something that they could not fulfill on their own. He says, you don't say a word. And it represents mission impossible. They could not go around Jericho. They could not ignore Jericho. They had to conquer Jericho or Jericho was going to conquer them. See, many of you today, if you're honest, you have a Jericho. It's an insurmountable wall, a wall of of issues, a wall of abuse, a wall of discouragement, a wall of not starting this thing or starting that business, a wall of not forgiving. It's a Jericho. You can't ignore it any longer. You can't go around it. You're going to have to conquer it or that Jericho is going to conquer you. So what did Israel do? The Bible says they marched around the walls of this massive city. How massive was it, Joey? Just just Josephus, the historian, he tells us how big the city was. And the walls of Jericho were so fortified. They were so big that chariots side by side could race on top of those walls. This was no little wall. This was a massive structure. And now they're facing this insurmountable mission impossible. So what did they do? I ask you, what would you do? The Bible says they walked around that thing for six days and they didn't say a word. They didn't say a word. Because that Jericho represented their destiny. To get to it, they had to get through it. And they couldn't get through it on their own. So the Bible says they walked around it for six days. They couldn't ignore it any longer. They couldn't talk their way out of it. They said, we have to do it. And the Bible says on the seventh day, on that seventh day, the priests blew the shofar. And the Bible says they gave a mighty shout. And the result was the impossible happened. Invisible hands from heaven pushed those walls down flat. 
The walls were not toppled over. The walls were pushed down so flat that archaeologists cannot find a remnant of those walls today because when God gets ready to destroy your walls, He doesn't want to leave a remnant of the thing that's held you back. He destroys it completely. Have you marched around your Jericho long enough? Has that thing come back at you again and again? It's prevented you from obtaining your total victory that Jesus has destined for you to have. Then if Israel did it, why don't we do it? Today, right now, in faith, we're going to do exactly what Israel did. We're going to shout it down. And that wall, that Jericho, that thing that's held us, I want you to stand with me this morning. And when I give you the call on the count of three, I want you to give God the greatest shout of praise for your wall coming down you've ever given. That wall that's held you back, that wall of discouragement, that wall of depression, that wall of your wayward child or grandchild, that wall of absolute unbelief. How about the wall of addiction? How about that wall of mental illness? How about that wall of cancer? How about that wall of absolute turmoil because you have tumor after tumor after tumor? I'm talking to you today, sir. I'm talking to you, young person. How about the wall of insecurity. You feel like me. You can't do anything for God because you had such a rough up, rough upbringing. I'm telling you today when I count to three, we're going to give that wall not a shout in our own strength, but collectively collaborating our faith in Jesus. We're going to let that wall know that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the spirit of the living God. And that wall has to come down because we represent the one true God. Are you ready? When I count to three, let heaven know, let hell be on notice that that wall before you shall come down. You ready? One, two, three. Shout for joy. Come on, give God a shout of praise. Shout it down. Shout it down. Shout it down. Shout it down. Hallelujah. You feel better? Every demon in hell scattered. You shook heaven's hinges and hell's on notice. Remain standing with me in closing. What you have just done, you've given God high praise. What you've just done was very biblical. You say, well, I do that at a football game, not at a Raiders game. You got a tear in your beer. Maybe at a 49ers, right? See, I just done lost the spiritual. I think there's something so important about what we've just done. The Bible says in Psalms 149, verses 5 through 9, it says, Let the saints be joyful. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword be in their hand. What you've just done, you've given God high praise. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword be in their hand. The only thing you could do with the two-edged sword in Scripture is combat to execute vengeance on the heathen and punishment on the ungodly, to bind the kings with chains and the noble with feathers of iron. When it talks about kings and noble, it's referring to supernatural principalities in the heavenlies. In other words, the things that have come against you, 
The assignment of Satan that's been upon your son, been upon your daughter, been upon your marriage, been upon your children. The assignment of Satan that's been on your mind and tried to overwhelm you with discouragement. The assignment of Satan that's been upon the city to take the city down the tubes with ridiculous, ridiculous lifestyle. I think there's something so important to let the high praises of God rise above the kings and nobles, the principalities. Why? Because it says to execute upon them the judgments of God as written in the word of God. So in other words, when you praise God, when you praise God, not just in a service like this, when you go home and you put your songs on and you praise God, God is released to go to war on your behalf. When you praise him, he's released to go to war on your behalf.